If you haven't been with us over the last couple of months, where were you? Okay, it's great to see you this morning. But over here, there's been this massive wall for the last two months. Do you remember that? And uh, back in October, um, we were talking about breaking through the wall. You remember, we felt as a church we were stuck in many ways uh, in terms of reaching more people, in terms of financially, in terms of the building that we need to redevelop here. And long story short, on the uh, 19th and the 18th of uh, October, uh, we had our 35th anniversary Sunday and you gave financially and we broke through that wall, didn't we? Which is amazing. And actually, um, the numbers keep changing financially all the time. The latest set of numbers is if we all honor our pledges, if we give what we've committed to give, it is £999,200. It's 800 short of a million. So come and see me afterwards, whoever feels that God has spoken to you this morning. That's amazing. And then what we did is we took down part of the wall because we felt God say very much we were just responding to what God was doing and saying often we, we do always pray and think about what we're going to teach about, but sometimes we pray and we, we plan out uh, quite a distance. But we were very much reacting and responding to what we felt God was saying. And God gave us this phrase, going beyond the wall, living beyond the wall. And so we took part of the wall down. And over the last six or seven weeks, we've been looking at what does it mean to live beyond the wall. And so we've looked at like kind of living beyond our disappointment, living beyond our self, living beyond our family, you know, just, just, just this whole thing, living beyond life as well, beyond the grave. We talked about life after death a couple of weeks ago as well. And we talked about living beyond in terms of relationships. How do we relationally live beyond the wall? Uh, what I want to do this morning is to kind of bring this series to an end with, with what I think is quite a big challenge, which God is speaking to me about at the moment. And it isn't fully developed, okay? It's developing uh, uh, in me anyway. And I want to share some of those thoughts with you this morning. I wonder if anybody knows what this is. It's a wineskin. I found it in my wife's car. No, I didn't. I'm just joking. Just joking. But this is an old school wineskin. And um, it's, it's kind of a, made out of an animal skin. It's probably not. Okay, This is just for those of you that are going to get you know, whatever about that. It's not. Okay, But it was way back then. Okay, So it's not a real animal skin. Nothing was killed in the making of this visual illustration. But this forms uh, the visual picture for perhaps the most famous couple of sentences that Jesus wrote about new and old, about new and old. And if you've got a Bible, it'll come up on the screen. It's Mark chapter 2 and uh, verse 21 to 22. And Jesus says these words, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And then here it comes. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Now, to understand what Jesus is talking about, we've got to understand a little bit about the culture of his day. If they wanted wine in um, 2,000 years ago, okay, first century Israel, there's no going down to Lidl or Morrison's, okay, uh, there's, no, there's no supermarkets and actually wine, the process of wine coming into being, is actually involves an, uh, an animal skin. Often it was a ghost, goat skin and the skin would be um, uh, tanned and prepared over the fires of acacia wood. And then they would take the neck of a goat and that would be where the spout is. Just check there's nothing in here. No, she's emptied it all. And uh, so the, the, check of, uh, the, the neck of the, uh, that's a joke, of the, of, the, of, the goat, of the goat would be used as the spout. And what would happen is they would take grape juice and pour the grape juice in, and then they would leave it. And in, and in the heat of, of Israel, 2,000 years ago, okay, as it is now, two to four months, what would happen is that grape juice would ferment, and that process of it becoming alcohol, becoming wine, would go on inside the skin. 
And, and the point that Jesus is making is that, is that when you pour grape juice in, it's new. As it ferments, it expands and it stretches. If your skin, if the skin that it's placed in is old, then it's brittle, rigid, and hard. And as the expansion goes on, it will rip. And both those things, the skin and the wine, will be ruined. So that's basically what Jesus is saying. Okay. Now, to really understand this, you've got to get inside the psyche of Jewish people in the time of Jesus. You've got to understand something about the mindset of a Jewish person. You see, to the Jewish person, to, they were passionately, passionately, they wanted to keep hold of the law that they felt God had given them, the Ten Commandments and all of that in the time of Moses. They were passionate about keeping that intact, not adding anything to it, not taking anything away from it. But in their passion, they actually added loads to it, okay? But they kind of got into this whole system of we've got to protect what God has given us at all costs. We've got to put fences around it. We've got to do everything we can to protect it. And religious leaders' objective was to build a fence around the status quo. That, that's not the band, all right? That's just life as it was, okay? Their faith as, as it was. A new idea was not a mistake, but a deadly sin. We never did it that way before was their motto. And Jesus uses these two common pictures to make a profound point about how human beings interact with God. The first one, he says, you don't put a new piece of cloth on an old garment because when it stretches, it will tear. And then the one that I want us to focus on, you don't pour new wine into an old wineskin because when the wine ferments and expands, the old wineskin, which is hard, brittle, and rigid, won't stretch. It will burst and both be ruined. Here's my thought for you this morning. If you want something new, you have to be prepared to go beyond the old. Amen? If you want something new, you have to be prepared to go beyond the old. If you want to receive a new idea, you need to be elastic enough to receive it. But you see, the story of mankind is the story that often new ideas that come, good ideas, ideas that come from God as well, and we'll talk about that in a moment, new ideas that come are often met with resistance at first. Because even sometimes when we want the new, we prefer the old because it's more comfortable. Because we know it, we understand it. The problem is with the old, it often is brittle, rigid and hard. And when the new is poured in, it won't contain the new that God wants to do. And you see, God loves the new. God loves the new. Sing to the Lord a new song. Behold, I am doing a new thing, a new commandment I give you. I will create a new heaven and a new earth. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. I'll put a new spirit in them. If anyone is in Christ, he is a the old has gone and the new has come. God loves the new. And I think we need a theology of new, not necessarily a new theology. They're different. We need a theology of new, not necessarily a new theology. And why does God love new so much? One of the reasons that God loves new so much is this, that new requires change and change can produce growth. Change can produce growth. And human beings are on this planet not just to suck up air and take up space, but to grow and develop and thrive and flourish. And I love, think that God loves it when we, when we take on that newness from Him and we begin to expand and we begin to stretch and we begin like the new wineskin to expand, to, to, to create that capacity for the new to really live at work within us. Someone, a guy called Robert Quinn said this, I think this is a profound statement, a phrase, a quote really. He said this, change is hell, yet not to change, to stay on the path of slow death is also hell. The difference is that the hell of deep change is the hero's journey. 
The journey puts us on a new path of exhilaration, growth, and progress. I love that. So changing is really hard, isn't it? How many of you know that's hard? And, uh, you know, let me just make a comment here. Our society, our culture, there is so much change right now. And if you work in the public sector, my heart goes out to you guys. It really does. There is so much change, so much pressure coming on you these days. And the rate of change and the, and the, and the chaos of change is so difficult to embrace. Uh, the problem is, if we don't change, then that's also really, really painful. So we've got like these two options of pain, which one we're going to go for, okay? But God says, if there's a new wineskin, if there's a new wineskin, then I can pour some new wine in and you can do that change process. That's what we're going to talk about today. You see, I believe that the new is so important to God because new requires change and change produces growth. But secondly, new is also important to God because new requires faith and without faith it's impossible to please God. Isn't that right? See, I don't need any faith just to live life as I'm already used to it. I can just do it out of experience. But as soon as I step forward, I need faith and that, the Bible says, pleases God. So that's one of the reasons why I think new is so important. And as a church and as individuals, if you are part of this church community, and we hope you are, okay, if you've been here a little bit, then we want to say we want to keep growing, don't we? We want to keep living on that edge of faith. And that is new. And that is required. And faith pleases God. And when we don't do the new, when we don't do the new, when we stick with the old, we don't need to engage faith. And therefore, we don't actually please God. And we want to do that. But living beyond the wall has to include living beyond the old. That's what I want to finish with in the end of this series. We have to live beyond the old if we want to experience something new. But it's tough to change, isn't it? How many of you know that the older you get, it's really tough to change? I'm experiencing that as well. Now here's another great quote. Faced with the choice between changing one's mind and proving that there is no need to do so, almost everybody gets busy on the proof. You get that? Faced with the thought of, you know, if I want to change my mind, I need to prove it, then we, we would rather prove that we don't need to change our mind rather than actually change. It's also tough to change even when we really want to. And, and in a few weeks' time, many of us will start the new year and we'll say, this year, I'm going to do this new thing, won't we? I'm going to do it. And we'll want to do it. And we'll be passionate about doing it. And it will be like a new wine is being poured into our life. But if the old wineskin is there, it won't work. Because you can't pour new wine into an old wineskin. And you can have a new idea and God can give you something new. But if you try and put it into an old container, it will, when it expands, it will rip and it will tear. And God's challenge and the challenge from Jesus, I think, is to say, we have to stay in that new wineskin. That means that as God pours new wine into us... We need to stay supple and flexible and open for the wine that he wants to pour in. So if, if we've got this sense that we really want to change and yet, and yet the old restricts us, you know, the old habit maybe, maybe the old mindset, maybe the old thought pattern, maybe the old response, the old reputation. And God pours this new wine in, but that old structure in our lives seems to resist against it. Why is that so? Why do we hang on to the old? If we really want the new, and if we see the value of it, why do we hang on to the old so much? And I want to say a few things about this. Firstly, I want to talk to you about it from a psychological perspective. Now, some of you have already checked out when I've said that, that, that's that word, the psychological word, okay? Now, I want to share some stuff with you, which I've shared before many times, and you said you always talk about this. I do because it so gripped me and it still is gripping me and I think there's so much more in it that I want to share it with you. Okay, again, 
So, some years ago, I read some research on, on this whole approach to change, and, uh, and the, the basic the research, uh, uh, they, they examined, uh, or, or they did a whole uh, test uh, situation in a hospital situation, where actually people who had heart disease uh, were all given the same information. They said, unless you change something about your life, what you eat, uh, exercise, the stuff that you drink, unless you change, you will die. And the research came back, one out of seven people actually made the change. And when you read that, you think, that's amazing, isn't it? You're told that you're going to die unless you change, and yet only one out of seven did. And what the research went on to suggest is that there is almost, and this is the phrase they used, an immunity to change built within the psyche of a human being. It's like we know that we want to change, and we understand the change, but we can't do it. And what, what it began to suggest is that there are three things that go on, okay? That there is a visible commitment, all right? Now, let me use an example which is I can use because I'm trying to work on this one myself, okay? So I'm not talking to you from an expert, but someone from really wants to try and to get to grips with this. I want to lose some weight. Anyone ever had that expression come into their mind? Okay, right. So we're all in, we're all in the same ground together here. So my visible commitment is I want to lose weight. What I'm doing or not doing, okay, is... I'm eating the wrong food, I'm eating at the wrong time, and I'm eating too much. Okay? Anyone else? Anyone else with me in that situation? So my visible commitment, what I really want, the new that I really want, is I want to lose some weight. But I'm doing and not doing certain things which are competing against that. And here's the thing. The immunity to change comes because underneath that is a deeper level of psychological perspective, which is some hidden or competing commitments. And this is where it gets a little bit painful and a little bit difficult. Because what's underneath is what's really motivating me to do or not do those things which are working against what I really want. Are you all still with me? That, and this is what the research says, and they use this example, so I'm, I'm quoting. Maybe that hidden or competing commitment is, I don't want to be bored. So many of us eat just because we're bored. Maybe we eat for comfort. Or I think this is mine, this is what the research says, I'm committed to not being seen and related to as a sexual object. Okay? <laughs> That's me. That's why I eat the pies. Okay? But you can see what's happening there, can't you? <laughs> I know some of you have just really checked out on me now, haven't you? The psychological perspective says that there's this sense of the, there's a new thing that we want, but the old within us fights against it. Now, let me give you a theological perspective on that. That's a psychological perspective. And let me say, you do not need, if you're a follower of Jesus, and I know that not all of you will say that you are this morning, you do not need to be scared of science or psychology. All truth is God's truth. And what often happens is that as Christians, we get so narrow and so fearful and so insecure that we can't even begin to even talk about science or psychology or sociology or any otherology. But I want to tell you, let me show you a theological perspective that, that, that matches in with what I've just shared from a psychological perspective. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans 7 verse 15, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Isn't that right? And, and Paul articulates what it's taken psychology 2,000 years to come up with, that basically there's an immunity to change inside of us. We want the new, but the old fights it. Yeah? We want the new, but the old fights it. And God wants to pour new wine into us. Do I hear an amen? 
God wants to pour new wine, but we fight it with this immunity to change. And what causes this? Well, Paul again in Romans chapter 6, verse 6. And I want to read this from the New King James Version because this phrase has gone out of our language, but I think it's important. Uh, it says this in Romans 6, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Paul says we have an old man that we need to do away with. And that's not your husband, ladies, okay? So, so please don't think that. That there's an old man, that there's a, the Bible calls it like the flesh. It's, the, it's that side of us that because of the fall and the separation between man and God, it's that side of us that actually is almost resistant to God. So there's the spirit that's within us that really pulls us towards God, but there's the old man, there's the flesh that pulls us away. That's the immunity. It's like there's an accelerator and a brake that we press down at the same time. Anyone know that's true? We desperately want the new, but we press down the old. And they go at the same time, and we stick. And that's what Paul says. And um, you know what, what I love is, is this whole idea of how do we get rid of that old man? Well, it's only through a relationship with the man who broke every wall that there was. And that's what we're going to celebrate in the next service where these people get baptized. What they're saying when they get baptized is that, that their intention is that, that, that you know, when you come to faith in Christ, the old has gone and the new has come. And that's true. That is true. But you've still got to live it out, haven't you? See, I'm, I'm married. I'm a husband. But I've still got to be a husband. I am a husband. But I've got to be a husband. So we are. The old has gone and the new has come. That's what's happened. But we've got to live it out. And there's this tension, there's this fight between the old man and between the new man inside of us. And it says in Romans 6 verse 4, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Amen? Live a new life. And that means we have to say, God, the old habits, the old thoughts, the old mindsets, the old ways of interacting, the old reputation, all the old stuff, God, we need to get rid of that. We need to get rid of that. We need new wineskins in order to contain the new wine that God is doing. You know, sometimes people say to me, I'm sure they say to you that Christians are so closed-minded. Anyone ever said that? Oh, that's such a funny statement for people to say. I want to say to them, so you believe that there's nothing more to this life than what you can touch, taste, eat, or wear. You believe there's no other possibility that there could be another dimension other than the one that you can see, and you say that I'm closed-minded. So let's just think about that, closed-minded and open-minded. Who is open-minded and who is actually closed-minded? If the mind is closed, it's old, brittle, rigid. And when the new idea is poured in, it can't contain it. But if you want something new, you have to be prepared to go beyond the old. So how many of you this morning want something new in your life? I know I do. How many of you want something new in the life of this church and in the life of the church in this nation and across our planet? Let me just say a little bit of a word, which I probably won't say in the second service so much, but, but about church and this whole subject really, and I don't necessarily mean our church, but I mean church generally. There are reasons why churches sometimes struggle with the new wine and the old wineskins. There's sometimes reasons why churches struggle with change. Let me give you a few reasons. Firstly, we see ourselves as tradition keepers, which is true, we are. But again, we need a theology of new, not necessarily a new theology. We also, I think, there's a culture that develops in churches very easily. It's hard to change. It's just the way things are done. And that's kind of hard to shift sometimes. We're often not in touch as churches with why we really exist. You know, often churches that are planted as churches, they're planted as missional churches. They're there to reach lost people. They're there to change the community. But the longer they're there and the more they grow, the more easy it is to turn away from that and all be about yourself. Remember the bias of the bowling ball that I often talk about. And that's happened so much. 
That's why it's so hard for churches that have been around for maybe 10, 20, 30, 40, 100, 200, 300 years to stay missional because we turn in on ourselves. That's just what happens. Often I think we find it difficult to change because people that are part of the church are change-weary people. You know, and you, some of those this morning, everything out there is changing all the time. You know, in your work life, in your home life, in your, the culture. You know, and you say, oh, can I just go to church where nothing will ever change? You know, and, and I get that. I understand that. I totally get that. But the other thing I think that happens in church is that we make the wrong things sacred. What do I mean by that? You know, in Numbers chapter 21, when the children of Israel were going through the wilderness, there were some snakes that came into the camp and started biting people and people were starting to die. And and Moses pleaded with God and God said, make a bronze snake and hold it up on a pole and tell the people to look at it. And when they look at the snake, they'll look at it and live. And so Moses responded to that and that's what happened. And and so so the people looked at the snake and, and God healed them. 700 years later... The children of Israel were worshipping bronze snakes instead of God. And uh, King Hezekiah had to come and break down all those snakes. What are you doing? 700 years later, you're worshipping the bronze snake instead of God. And this is what happens um, in churches. is, Is that we elevate a method to the status of being sacred and we worship it. Often when a new idea comes in, it gets rejected at first. Then we accept it. Then it becomes established. Eventually it becomes sacred and we refuse to let it go. And here's a thought for you. When good snakes become bad snakes, they need to be destroyed. So even though it was a good thing that God brought in, that wasn't the point. That wasn't the point. That was something that God brought in as a new thing then for a specific reason. Not to be elevated to the status of being sacred. There's a Chinese proverb that says, Beware of worshipping the teapot instead of drinking the tea. And we need to understand as church what we're really about. And anything can change if it means that we can reach more people. We stick to the theology and to the doctrine that God has given us. But everything else is up for grabs. And let me just say a little bit about a word about this church as well. As many of you know, uh, we are in a really exciting period as a church and lots of great things are happening and, uh, and lots of movement and change as well. And um, you know, many leaders uh, in the church over this last six months uh, have kind of been planted out and have moved on to different things. And the fruit overhanging the walls is amazing and it's just breathtaking what God is doing. And as part of that, as you know, our associate pastor Dan and Rachel and their family will be leaving us at the end of the year. I know that's been a little bit of a shock uh, for many of us. Although actually the people I've spoken to said, you know what, but we can see what God is doing in their life and that this is a great step for them in their continuing journey of seeking after God. And so on the 21st of January, which is, uh, January, December, which is two weeks today, we'll be having our last uh, service and doing a farewell for Dan. He'll be speaking, we'll be saying some stuff about him uh, and to him and stuff. And then after both services, uh, there'll be like a meet and greet in the community zone. Also, what we will be doing is that we, the elders, we really feel that we want to bless them financially. So we'll be doing that uh, out of church funds. But we want to open that up to any of you that want to be a part of that as well. So on the 21st, there'll be some envelopes around. And if you want to bless them financially, then you can do that. I'll obviously tell you how we'll do that on the day, but just so that you've got a heads up. But some of you may be asking, well, what are we doing the other side of Dan as a church then? And we felt as elders that we need to step back a little bit, recognize that there is a wineskin thing going on here, recognize that God is changing structures, that God is doing some stuff 
And so rather than jump straight into an immediate like-for-like replacement, we're going to take a little bit of time out. We recognize we're in a transitional time very much. Next year, at some point in the year, we will be off-site and doing the building work. And so the other side of that, things may look very, very different. So what we're going to do for next year is to take Dan's salary and um, uh, spread it around a little bit as we respond to what we sense God is doing. So Simon, one of our pastors, he's going to come full-time. Uh, currently, he's not full-time, so he's going to go full-time. Uh, also, uh, and Dan takes some more responsibility as well. The other thing that we're going to do is Julie Mills, who's our administrator. If you remember, we, uh, Rachel and Liz were both full-time administrators. They both moved on uh, to do great other stuff as well, although Rachel's still part of the church. Uh, we brought Julie on, but only part-time. She's getting some more hours, and she's really doing a great job working with volunteers as well and building that whole infrastructure in the church. The other thing that we're going to do is that we really want to help Chris Neville out. You know, it's so great what God is doing with a building. Uh, last month alone, there was 144 external bookings in one month. That's not the church, that's outside bookings. And Chris is our facility manager that works really hard now, not only in the week, but every day and almost every Saturday. And, and we need to help that fella out, okay, um, before things go wrong <laughs> there for him. And so, and so what we want to do is to bring in a part-time person to help uh, with the building. And then finally, what we want to do is to, is to look at the pastoral infrastructure in the church. And Sandra Andrew, uh, one of our great ladies, leaders in the church. She's been working voluntary for us over this last few months, had voluntary redundancy at work, and we want to employ her on a part-time basis in a temporary situation for next year. So that's basically what we're going to do. More information we'll give you in the new year, but that's basically what we're going to do. Again, by trying to respond to what God is doing and not saying, let's just go for the, the you know, like for like, let, let, let's step back and let's see what is God is doing. Let's be flexible uh, to the new wine that God may be pouring in amongst us. So what about you? today as we draw to a close. What about you today? As we come towards the end of a year, you know, is God trying to pour some new wine into your life, but maybe he's finding an old wineskin. If you want something new, you have to be prepared to go beyond the old. And you know, there are different ways of bringing the new in. You know, you can bring the new into business or you can bring the new into a church or into a life. And there are four ways. There's what's been terminated, these four Ps, pommel, pamper, push and pull. Okay, there's the pommel approach to bring new in. Okay, that, you know, if you just pommel something hard enough, then you can get the new in and you can bring change. That doesn't really work all that well. There's a pamper kind of way. You know, just do, do what you feel like doing. You know, we think often in church that it's kind and loving to be like that. But actually, it's not sometimes. The kindest thing we can do is to tell the truth, I think. Then there's push which is a little bit not quite so bad as pommel, but it still uses fear and pain to push you to the new and to change. The thing is, when the pain subsides, you go back to the old ways. Anyone know that? On a diet, that's true, isn't it? You know, we go back to the old ways when it, after a little bit because that doesn't really work. The best way to bring change, the best way to inf- bring the new into our life is pull, which is do what you must do to achieve the future you see and you long for. It's got to be something that comes it from the inside of you. You know, this week we had a, had a bit of reflection time uh, this week. Uh, and literally, as, as I was just sitting and meditating, I just felt God say to me this word. He says, Leon, when you see yourself as you really like, uh, when you see yourself and, and, and you almost catch a glimpse of yourself and you think, that's the you that I want, that, that's the me that I want to be, what does that feel like? And I felt like God said, that feels great. You know, those moments, you don't know, understand what I mean? When, when you catch yourself and you think, that's the me that I want to be. And then I felt God say, be that, be that. And it reminded me of a book that I read recently by John Ortberg called The Me That I Want to Be. 
And he talks about that there's all these different things. There's the me that I don't want to be. We all got that, yeah. There's the me that I pretend to be. There's the me that I think others want me to be. But when I am the me that I really want to be, that I think God wants me to be that, that's an amazing thing. And my question to you as we, as we finish, and I'm going to ask the band to come back, is it how, how, do, we, how, how do we change? How, how do we stay so flexible and so uh, open that when God pours new wine in, he doesn't meet an old wineskin, but he meets a new one? And I thought, how does that work? And then I read the book again this week. And it's really helped me because in the book he talks about this. The answer is not to try harder. How many of you brought up like that? You know, if I could just try harder. And actually what he says in the book is this. Don't try harder, try softer. Try better, try different. You see, the new wine speaks of the wine of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says that the wine of the Holy Spirit is like a river that flows within. And you cannot push a river to do what you want it to do, can you? You cannot pummel it to do. What you do is you surrender to it. Is you surrender to the river of the Spirit within. And you say, God, as I surrender, I want to not try harder, but I want to try softer. Maybe that means focusing on God's goodness more than our own efforts. Maybe it means being more relaxed and less self-conscious. Maybe it means being less defensive and more open to feedback. Maybe it means staying patient when things don't work out the way we want. Being less self-congratulatory when we do well and less beating ourselves up when we don't. Maybe it means staying more like that rather than like that. Maybe that's one of the ways in that the new wine finds a new wineskin and not an old wineskin. There's a story of an ambitious young person approaching a master that he wanted to teach him and he said this, I want to be your best student. How long must I study? The master says, 10 years. And the student says, that's too long. What if I study twice as hard as all the other students? The master says, then it will take 20 years. Because sometimes it isn't about trying harder. It's about opening up our hands and saying, God, let the river of your spirit, let the new wine lead me. Let the new wine transform me. Let the new wine of the river of your spirit change me. Let that thing take the old away and bring the new. Why don't we pray together? Why don't we stand for a moment? Let's stand. Just as we come to the end of our series, I want to encourage you to just invite the Holy Spirit right now. And if you're comfortable to do this, and if you're a visitor and you're not, don't worry about it. But just put your hands out in front of you if you're comfortable. And just keep them open. Because I I found that posture is so important. I know that if I'm in conversations which are difficult, if I tense my hands up, then my whole body kind of goes into that space. And my heart and my mind aren't open. But if I keep my hands open, it's somehow like... You can just stay more open. So maybe there is some old wineskins here in this place. Maybe there's some old wineskins of thoughts. And God has poured in in this year, wants to pour in new wine, wants to pour in the new into your life. But maybe it's your old wineskins are resistant. Maybe this morning you can say, God, keep me open. Keep me new. Keep me supple. Keep me soft. God, I want to receive all the new that you want to bring into my life. Lord, as we come to an end of a year, Lord Jesus, I don't just want next year to be the same as this year. God, I want to see the new. And God, if I want to see the new, I have to be prepared to let go of the old. So Lord, right now, right now I want to let go of the old. The old thoughts, the old mindset that kept me contained. The old habits, the old attitudes. The old responses, the old reactions. Lord, let them go, I pray. And God, I pray for a new day. Pray for a new response. Pray for a new mind. 
God, I pray that as I learn not to try harder, but to try softer, to try better, to try different, to be open to the river of the Spirit of God. Lord, would you lead me? And God, I pray for this church, that this church would stay open and receptive, not resistant and hard and brittle and rigid, but we would stay open. And God, when we interact with one another and when it all goes a little bit pear-shaped, God, let us stay open and soft to one another that the wine of your spirit, the river of your spirit would flow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And we're going to sing by lifting our voices and saying, Today is the day that the Lord has made. Amen. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Today is the day. And this song talks about letting go of the old, letting go of the fears, letting go of the past, reaching out to the new that God has for us. So let's celebrate as we finish.